This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hello, I am That Weems Guy here for another episode of the That Weems Guy Show. And joining me today is David Cagle. Now, I will have David interview him, introduce himself momentarily. But before we do that, I just need to say that uh, Paul Howe is a man that I suspect that has been involved in the giving of lots of nicknames over the course of his lifetime and his career. And... The fact that he refers to David as the tactical intern and that David has a benign nickname instead of something very unflattering is very telling to me as a 22 year old year cop for a young guy to have a, a kind of a respectful nickname or at least a benign nickname for a month of a wily old veteran actually speaks volumes about David uh, speaks volumes indeed. And with that, David, introduce yourself and tell everybody about you. Okay. Uh, I'm David Cagle. I'm a full-time law enforcement officer right outside of the Oklahoma City area, um, which surprisingly has little to do with my formal training history. Um, I've been involved in firearms training pretty seriously for a while now, uh, luckily since I was 17 or 18. Um, I've got instructor certifications through combat shooting and tactics, range master, the NRA, of course. And then I've done some other stuff like uh, the Masada U group, uh, deadly force instructor course and things like that. Um, formerly, I did an internship with Paul Howe at Combat Shooting and Tactics and worked out there as, a, as an AI for a little while. And I currently work for uh, Hardwired Tactical Shooting in Dallas uh, for Wayne Dobbs and Daryl Bulky. Cool. And, you know, knowing where you live and everything, that's God's country because of Oklahoma is the most beautiful place on the planet and it has Brahms. So that, that just note that just tells you about there that God blessed Oklahoma. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a regular at the Brahms around my area. My patrol unit is often seen in the drive-through line. Yeah. I lived in Oklahoma for a year as a boy and it's, it's my second home. I, I claim every, what little bit of Oklahoma heritage and connection I have, I claim and I get back to OK's often as I can. So uh, awesome. I, I lived in the Northeast portion of the state, but I've kind of developed an affinity for the, the central part of the state in the last few years. Uh, David pitched a rather interesting show idea to me, and that is he wants to talk about baseline of proficiency. And I was very intrigued by the topic. So David, first explain to everyone what you mean by the term baseline of proficiency. Okay. So having a baseline of proficiency is basically having a baseline of skill, having a base of things that you can perform on demand without having to be instructed on how to do them. Um, basically things that you've trained to the point you don't have to think about them anymore before you go on to trying to do more advanced skills, if that makes sense. 
All right. So I know that it's very common in the instructor world or the training community to be pitching the idea of you need to take a class from this guy, then go take another class from that guy and then the other guy, et cetera. But you tend to think that's not necessarily a good idea, at least at the start. Yeah, I do. Absolutely. Um, Very early in my kind of training adventure, I was down taking a class with Paul Howe, Combat Shooting and Tactics. And I was very fortunate because I fell in with him almost immediately. Um, So I didn't have to go through kind of the trial and error of poor training classes that some people do. But I was down there training with him and there was a guy um, that was talking to us on one of the breaks and was like, I have over 150 hours of training from over 10 different instructors and, you know, just talking a big game about it. But when it came time to do kind of basic skills, the guy didn't know on something basic, like a load sequence, he didn't know if he was going to turn the gun inboard or if he was going to do an overhand rack or what he was going to do because he learned so many different techniques from so many different people and he never really repped any one thing. So, it's the old, you know, people talk about, have you been training for 10 years or have you been training for one year, 10 times? Um, and I think that's a very valid thing. You know, I can, I can kind of see where you're going with that. Um, you know, I'm on staff with the range master and I assist with the instructor courses a good bit. And I see people who they come in and, you know, in the intros, they'll say, well, I've trained with so-and-so and I've trained with this other guy or I'm certified through this body or entity. But then they come to the range master instructor course and they don't really know the range master doctor in which they're there to certify as an instructor. And, and, you know, thinking about the old days of the instructor courses, you know, when Tom was able to offer them more, people that came to the instructor course had already been through Tom's combative pistol or intensive pistol and were already familiar with the doctrine. And then the instructor course was a finishing school versus the introduction to the doctrine. Is that the kind of the point where you're going? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, I know you've talked about it on the show before Carl Wren's work talking about really it's, 1% or less of people are going to get any further firearms training. And of that number of people that do, not many of them are going to take more than a couple classes. So if you're only going to take a couple of classes, you probably want to be hearing the same thing every time and building on the same thing every time. And you don't want to go to three different people telling you three different things. And I think that's kind of where people run into issues with showing up for like the range master course, they're like, uh, they come to the instructor class and like, well, I've trained with this guy and we jumped out of flaming helicopters and shot through uh, 3000 rounds in a weekend and all this stuff. And I'm super high speed, but those classes, they didn't actually measure things and there weren't metrics used to show them where they were at. So then they show up to a course like Tom's instructor development uh, course where they're actually tested on things and their knowledge is challenged. And they're not ready for that because they hadn't dedicated themselves to the system that Tom is trying to teach. All right. So when you're talking about building that baseline of proficiency, there are things out there like the modern technique, which we know originated with gunsight in the sixties and seventies and then spread from there. 
um, who had the range master doctrine. You've got Paul Howther and CSAT, but say like range master, you've got people like John Hearn and myself and, and, and Murphy and Tiffany and Akil. You're not necessarily saying you've got to go to one guy, but pick a system. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you're going to go take a class from you, John Hearn and Tom Gibbons, you're going to get pretty much the same thing every time. But if you go take class from a guy like Paul Howe that, you know, kind of does things the army way, has his certain system, and then say you go take a class from a group of Navy SEALs that do something completely differently, you're going to get a completely different product. So I'm not saying you have to say, you know, we keep using Paul Howe system as an example. Right. If you're going to train with Paul Howe and you're going to pick that kind of system, you need to go to somebody like Reed Hendricks at Valor Ridge or Wayne Dobbs or somebody that teaches things that aren't going to conflict with what Paul is teaching. Right. So we, we could say, right, use the modern technique, for example. All right. Find instructors that are steeped in the modern technique and so you do a 250 at gun site. Well, then you could continue training by going to say Eric Gilhouse, who is very steeped in, in the modern technique, or yeah. Scotty Reitz. Yeah, I know the modern. Funny you mentioned that um, because that's basically that's been kind of my project this summer as my kind of personal instructor development was. I've kind of done a deep dive into all the modern technique stuff. Uh-huh. Um, Starting out, I went and trained with Larry Mudgett up at Marksmanship Matters in Utah. And then we went and Daryl Bulky actually went with me and we went and had dinner with John Helms and ended up training with Scott Reitz and did his advanced pistol class. And then I went from there to train with Eric Gelhouse at Gunsight in the 250 pistol class. So that is a perfect example of there's little things that they teach differently. But overall, that entire summer, you're basically doing um, consistent reps on things. Right. And for the audience, we want to clarify or make sure that we're not misunderstood here because this is the Internet. People are already probably throwing things at computers or stomping away and typing things without listening to the whole show. We're not arguing that you shouldn't train with multiple instructors and instructors with various viewpoints. I don't think that's what David is, is saying here. And I know I'm not not saying that. What David is pitching is you should pick a system, get steeped in that system, develop a proficiency in that system and an understanding of it, and then perhaps start challenging that system with others. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is a super important designation to make there. I'm not saying you shouldn't challenge what you're being taught. I think that's important for growth, but when you're brand new and you don't really know enough to start challenging things yet, you kind of have to build a base where you're proficient at doing one thing before you start to be like, before you start to challenge everything. So I know there's people listening to this that are like, well, I know Lee Weems and David Cagle have both trained with a multitude of different people. And I have, I've trained with a ton of different instructors, but when I first started training, I trained with Paul Howe pretty much exclusively for years until I had, I was very confident doing all the things he taught. I knew why he taught them. I could explain to other people why he taught them. And I was proficient in all of his techniques. And so then after that, I could go take a class with 
I don't know, take a guy, Ernest Langdon, Spencer Keeper, somebody like that, and you take kind of specific things, and then you can compare that against the baseline of proficiency that you already have. You're like, okay, now this guy's kind of doing something different. Why is he doing that differently? You don't have to adopt it, but you at least have enough knowledge to kind of process it. Um, Paul Howe told me one time we were talking, and he said one of the, the big benefits to going and doing a deep dive uh, on a system like that is it gives you a filter to realize if the training you're going to from there on out is valid or not. Exactly. And, and one of the most important things about this is you have to pick a legitimate system in the first yeah. place. Right. So you have to get basically talk to competent people that you trust and get a good recommendation on where to start in the first place. Because if you just start out going through the NRA basic pistol class and you only take NRA classes, you're probably never going to get to the baseline of proficiency that we're talking about. Not that there's anything wrong with the NRA. I've done all of the NRA classes basically. And if you're going to do the NRA classes, do them with Akeel and Tiffany because (laughs) they are by far the best NRA instructors. Uh, That's uh, Akeel Kadir and Tiffany Johnson of the Citizen Safety Academy based in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Yes, absolutely. But yeah. And so that's where I come back to is kind of the overall thing with this is I see people and they're only going to take two or three classes and they take two or three classes from two or three different people. And I think that's a losing formula. And I think sometimes as an industry, the firearms training people jump too soon into the, you need to take a class from this guy. You need to take a class from this guy you know, we're kind of that instant gratification. We want to be entertained the whole time. When you first start training, you know, it's fun because it's shooting, but it's really more like Daryl, Daryl Bulky talks about it being like going to the gym. Like you're going there to work out um, and to slowly build this proficiency that you're working on. And so eventually it should be boring. Like your practice sessions at home should be boring because you should know what you're working on already. You should be working on the things that you're not so good at. And so it becomes after your first couple of classes, it's not super exciting and mystical anymore. Yeah. I guess kind of to tie this back into the academic side of learning is, and I've mentioned in previous episodes, Bloom's taxonomy. And that's a very important instructor development tool because it measures levels of knowledge. And you know, the bottom of the pyramid that is Bloom's taxonomy is just basically being exposed to material and trying to, you know, basically learn it at the rudimentary level. And then as it moves up, it's can you repeat that back? Then can can you apply it? And then it's only once you get to the very top end of the pyramid and to the skinny part that you start analyzing the material and being able to compare other things. And so to wrap that up, I think what David is saying is build multiple pyramids, but start on a pyramid or triangle, build multiple triangles, start on it, build it up to the skinny part, then go start another triangle with another system, build it up to the skinny part, then do it again. And then that way you can actually make valid comparisons among systems versus you're still at the bottom wide base of the triangle every time you go to the range with a new guy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a good way to put it. Get to the top of one <laughs> of one of the pyramids before you start right. trying to climb all the other ones. Right. Um, 
you know, when, when you first pitched this and I got to thinking about, okay, well, what do I really agree with him or how can I refute him? Well, I don't guess I can refute you because that's basically what I did is, you know, I came up through the system that was run by the Georgia public safety training center, um, was in it from like 09 to 2014, basically unchallenged. Then in 2014, I became uh, familiar with the range master system and, and, and uh, became part of the range master family, went all the way up through all the courses with it, started helping Tom teach. Well, then Tom and John Hearn and I all, you know, kind of went through the handgun combatives classes uh, with Dave Spalding. And I've made it all the way up to where Dave is as certified as an instructor in his system. I have made value choices now based on all three of those systems as to which techniques that I want to use, but I'm making those based on having all the knowledge and experience from all three systems and being steeped enough in all three systems that I'm actually certified to teach all of them. Right. And that right there is another important distinction with this whole thing is there's the instructor level and then there's the practitioner level. So if you're at the instructor level, it's absolutely critical that you go train with other people and get exposed to new ideas and at least understand why people teach the things that they do, even if you don't agree with it. And so for instructors, you have to, because you have to be able to explain to your students why you are or aren't doing something, why you do or don't like a technique. And so that's kind of why I've been doing what I've been doing lately, you know, going on the Eric Gelhouse calls it the modern <laughs> technique tour and all right. of that um, is because I love the history of all of this stuff. Right. I want to know where all of it came from um, and all of that. But from a practitioner level, there's a ton of people out there who never want to end up teaching other people who never want to get to the point where they're a recognized trainer, you know, doing classes, they're doing it purely to protect themselves and their family. And if you're only right. going at this to protect yourself and your family, you're probably going to get a lot more bang for your buck sticking with what you know works. And because, you know, there's 50 different ways to do everything when it comes to firearms training. And even though a lot of people teach things differently, most of the stuff works. Um, Some things work marginally better than other things, but most of the majorly taught stuff works pretty well. As long as you agree on the main things like actually using your sights and things like that, um, it's all going to work. So as long as you stay focused and burn reps on the same stuff, you're going to be way better off. Right. And I, I guess kind of wrap it back into some, some methodologies, something very simple. Dave Spalding, handgun combatives, teaches inboard manipulations of the pistol. Tom Givens, range master, teaches overhand manipulations of the pistol. I've only been exposed to Paul House system as a student once. Paul's load and unload sequences, he calls them slightly different than either of those other two. All three of them are correct. Now, they're all right. correct, but if you've gone to handgun combatives for a class, range master for a class, run into Paul House system for a class, you're still trying to decide which is what. Exactly. And that's, and that's another lesson I learned from Paul Howe um, uh-huh. was when I was going through all the instructor stuff, he's talking to me and he's like, Hey, you know, we teach people our curriculum, but if they're doing something and it works, 
you know, let them do their thing. You know, I'm not going to spend time, like I'll tell them why I do what I do, but if they want to do their system and it's working for them, let them do it. So, you know, it's kind of all of these instructors understand that there are multiple ways to do things that works. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where I think we get too much into the weeds of, well, am I doing the very, very best thing? Is it 2% less efficient than this other technique? Like those aren't really the large things that matter in the ultimate context of how we use this stuff. And don't want to upset the internet talking about application versus technical, you know, shooting things. But um, in all of the stuff I've been involved in uh, at work and otherwise, would it really have mattered if I manipulated the gun a slightly different way? Right. Not really. So right. it, it all comes down to get the gun between you and the bad guy. Right. And, and, pr- so, and, and press the trigger without manipulating the sights. And you have yeah. to be legally justified in what you're doing. Exactly. And so it's much more a problem of tactics than it is, a, you know, you go into the whole, um, basically your combat triad and all of that. Right. And for me personally, going back, you know, Paul House School, combat shooting and tactics, I think that that's one of the big things that sets it apart from a lot of other firearm schools is that he puts such a big emphasis on the tactics of it. And that's really what matters. Particularly discrimination and not pointing guns at people you shouldn't be pointing guns at. Yeah, the righteous use of lethal force. Um, And I literally, I emailed Paul Howe the other day just to tell him that he's probably kept me out of jail a dozen times now at this point in my career because – you know, he takes people and he introduces them to a baseline level of proficiency with their tools. And then you jump immediately from that into target discrimination, you know, when to shoot versus when not shoot and all this stuff that is infinitely more important. And so all of his shooting mechanics are simple and effective. And then you get into the stuff that's actually hard, which is the tactical side of it and employing this stuff when you need to, because it's another thing Daryl Bulky and I have had pretty extensive conversations on all of this stuff. Um, there are not a lot of gunfights where the shooting is particularly hard. Um, there, there's some stuff out there where people have made excellent shots, but the vast majority of it, the shooting part is the easiest part of the entire thing. Right. And I forgot who said this and I'm sorry that I can't give the correct attribution to them, but I think I saw it on Instagram or something. A guy put, I've seen a lot of situations where being a good shooter was important. I haven't seen a lot of situations where being a great shooter was important. And I think that's valid as well. You know, you want, you want to be as good as you can get, but ultimately if you're spending all of your time on technical shooting and none of your time on Mm -hmm. how to apply it, you're going to run into problems when it's time to apply it, but that's a slightly different topic. I'm getting right. off. Right. Well, I, I will say, as I have said in, in other episodes, you know, that Bill Lewis could collect an expert has an automatic use of the tool. Yeah. And so the, the better your technical skills or the more automatic your technical skills, the less of your brain power is devoted toward running the tool and it's freed up to all your RAM is freed up for making good decisions. Yep. 
And if you, and I guess you can tie that back into what we're talking about today is that if you've got competing doctrines or skill sets running through your fighting for space in your realm at the critical point of time, that's not necessarily going to lead to an automatic use of the tool. Exactly. And so another big influence on me has been Bill Rapier of Amtech Shooting. And one of his big things in his classes is he talks about, you know, conscious competence versus unconscious competence. Uh Can you do it when you're thinking about it and you walk through all the steps in your head and all that you're consciously competent, but the key to all this stuff is that unconscious competence, you know, in, I remember I was, I was telling somebody about this the other day, the first time I had to draw a gun at work, it was, I had luckily trained to the point where it was kind of like, I need a gun right now oh, there's a gun in my hand because, you know, most cops have gone through that. It was like, I didn't have to think about the draw. The gun just kind of appeared. Yeah. So. I remember distinctly in the Academy and the early part of 1999. And, and one of my instructors was a, was a Vietnam veteran. And we were sitting in the lunchroom one day and I, you know, ask, asking rookie questions. Hey, Lieutenant, when will I know when to draw my pistol? And he's sitting there in the chair, leaning back, and he's got a toothpick rolling around in his mouth. And he just takes it and says, Weems, just worry about getting good at your draw. Time comes, you need one. Need it, it'll be there. And I remember the very first time I wound up in that situation in the field, I did not consciously make a decision to draw my pistol. I remember, I went, oh, Lieutenant Tyson's right. Hey, wait a minute. You know, pointed it back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> back out. Exactly. Uh, and and that's kind of the essence of the whole thing I'm trying to get at here is what your specific technique is right. for drawing your gun is not the hugely important part in the vast majority of these situations. Once you get into kind of, you know, the entangled fighting and stuff like that, right. yeah, whether you can do a one or two hand to draw and things like that start to matter. But just in the broad spectrum of things, have you practiced the way you're going to draw whatever it is? the same way a million times. It's like, you know, the Bruce Lee quote, I don't worry about the guy that's done 10,000 kicks once. I worry about the guy that's done one kick 10,000 times. Super valid. Um, I've got to ask you about your tour through the modern technique. Okay. Kind of give people a rundown of what you've been doing uh, this past year. Yeah. So part of kind of my continuing education through um, things was when I started working for Daryl and Wayne at Hardwired Tactical Shooting, um, one of the things that Daryl is super, super big on, and Wayne is too, is, you know, knowing the history of things and where it came from and respecting the lineage and all that. And so Larry Mudgett was who trained Daryl initially, and he's still teaching I think he's 74 or something super impressive like that. So the guy's been teaching for like 50 years, but he told me, he was like, Hey, if you're really serious about this, you need to go out. You need to train with Larry Mudgett. And luckily I was at a place in life where I could do that. And so moved some things around and made it out to Utah. And I took his four day pistol class kind of mind blown the way his whole teaching methodology, everything about it was awesome. Um, definitely teaches things a little differently than I'm, than I'm used to doing it. He still shoots hard isosceles uh, weaver stance and all that kind of thing. But 
Wait a minute. You, you got to clear that up because you're going to make the internet mad. You said a hard isosceles weaver stance. You mean a hard weaver or a hard isosceles? Oh, sorry. I When I said isosceles, what yeah. I was thinking was isometric tension. You know okay. the iso word. Right. So right. He, he shoots a weaver stance with complete isometric tension, you know, right. going through it. So, yes, thank you. The yeah. internet would have been very upset about that. That's right. Um, so he doesn't shoot isosceles like I'm like I typically do. Um, so I trained with him and then a couple weeks later, I was able to go to LA and, you know, kind of complete the LAPD D platoon trifecta there. Cause I'd trained with, uh, Larry Mudgett. I was able to go have dinner with Daryl and Wayne and John Helms, who, if you don't know who John Helms is, fix yourself. Yeah. yes. And go listen to the podcast he did with Scott Reitz because mm-hmm. it was awesome. But uh, got to have dinner with him and got some just incredible advice about firearms instruction and, you know, all of this stuff that he's dedicated his life to. And then after that, Daryl and I went and took Scott Reitz's uh, advanced handgun class together out at International Tactical Training Seminars in L.A., which was awesome. And so you're kind of seeing the whole progression of this stuff as, you know, in real time, basically. And then after training with Scott Reitz, shortly thereafter, um, I had been lucky enough to get the Jeff Cooper Legacy Foundation Scholarship. So I was able to go out to Gunsight and did the Gunsight 250 class and was, I'll be nice about Eric for once. I was (laughs) lucky enough to have Eric Gelhaus as my instructor for Gunsight 250. And it was actually the red dot version. So everyone had red dots on their pistols, but it was still the modern technique applied to red dots. And it was just an incredible class. Um, Eric's been kind of the mastermind behind Gunsight's red dot program. And I was super impressed with it. Um, Speaking of which, there's an early episode of this show in which uh, I interviewed Eric on the challenges of integrating new technologies such when it's not really new, but current yeah. technology such as the red dot or pistol mounted optic into such a venerated system as the modern technique and staying true to the modern technique, but with 2021 gear. And so please, if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and find it. Now, continue, yeah, please. Definitely. And I, I can attest to that as a student now, you know, I've been going through doing all of this, modern technique stuff first with Larry Mudgett and then with Scott Reitz and then I went to the Gunsight 250 class and we basically applied all of the same stuff to utilizing the new technology of the red dot and it's a pretty seamless transition when you have an instructor as qualified knowledgeable as Eric uh, who could just put it in context like that so it was really awesome for me Uh, probably the biggest thing I got out of it was just the history of all this because people like to argue about why we do this or why we do this. But when you go and train with the people that actually invented kind of why we do this um, and kind of codified the reasoning behind um, why we do these techniques, it's, it's really eye-opening. And I think that's a super important thing for instructors um, to do as well. So, yeah. Speaking of the history, I would be remiss uh, it was pointed out to me recently by someone that I trust very much, uh, Gary G, uh, that when the LAPD guys showed up at Gunsight, 
that a fellow by the name of Mike Wadelich was on the line teaching for Cooper at Gunsight. And Mike was the range master of the Burbank, California Police Department. And according to an article written by Greg Elephants, um, the Burbank guys had like an 87% hit rate in the field, which rivals uh, the reported numbers from the LAPD Metro Division. Now, the LAPD Metro guys deserve all the credit that they're given. And, you know, they're known with like kind of popularizing and spreading the modern technique across the board, you know, at least us in law enforcement, um, you know, along those circles. But there was another guy there that was there too, Mike. And so Mike needs to be given the historical credit that he never has gotten. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, John Helms was very, very insistent on putting that in when he was talking to me about it. And then I think he talks about it in the podcast he did with Scott Reitz. But the fact that, uh, when Larry Mudgett and John Helms went out to Gunsight for the first time, um, they were not the first LAPD guys to make it out there either. I think there were two, um, and I don't know their names off the top of my head, but there were a couple LAPD patrol guys that had gone out before, um, before them. So they weren't the first guys that went out there, but they were kind of in the position to then push it out. So, you know, good work was done from there. If I remember what uh, Mr. Helm said correctly, because he was Metro Division and the other guys were Metro, they were allowed to go around to all their other divisions and train them. And that's why they're known throughout the LAPD for spreading the doctrine, but they weren't necessarily the first, as you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, then you get into the stuff that they kind of specifically did with, you know, right. the kind of transition from the Mozambique to the failure drill and things right. like that. And so all of that. But yeah, I mean, there's just so much history with those guys that I, I'm afraid we're going to lose if people don't take right. a little more interest in it right now. Yeah. And I, that's the other thing too, is what we consider to be modern firearms training has only been around since the late sixties and the 1970s. Right. It's not a very old skill and technique. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or, or body of work, knowledge, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, we have to add our disclaimer here because, again, the Internet gets mad about small things. But, you know, you go back and there's guys like Fairbairn and Sykes that are doing a lot of what we do modern-wise, mm-hmm. but it just it wasn't on a widespread level. So if you read, like, Shooting to Live, um, Fairbairn and Sykes' book, they do talk about a 200 grip for longer shots and things like that, but – you know, they were fighting, as you've talked about on the show before, kind of that then the 1930s flood of Jelly Bryce, who as an Oklahoma City guy, near and dear to my heart, but he did set us back a few decades. So, you know, then you're going from stuff, it all existed, you know, no one really, the word invention, I've used it a couple times so far, but saying that someone invented this stuff is kind of hard, but they popularized it. And so the popularized version of what we're doing is not very old. Yeah. You know, if you, if you go back and read Colonel Cooper's writings, I think it was 1950 or 51, he published a book and the book was pretty much all about the merits of point shooting. Yeah. And then the very next year, a book comes out where, Oh wow, there's sights on these guns. We should be using them. Yeah, exactly. And, and you go ahead. Well, you can kind of see. Uh, I, I was going back and reading like gargantuan gunsight gossip one and stuff yeah. before I went out to gunsight. And 
reading it because you know it's just kind of Cooper's thoughts month to month throughout the years you see the development of specifically like the shotgun curriculum and stuff like nobody was doing shotgun the way that they started doing it at gunsight in the 80s um and so a lot of this stuff you know there's guys like Charles Askins that shot a lot of dudes with shotguns and had a pretty good idea of how to fight with one but it wasn't kind of um marked down and codified until until they started doing it at gunsight so you know and then you know if if you look at the gunsight shotgun doctrine it was built around the the technology that was available during that time frame and it's very slug dependent well right flight control a fairly recent addition to the ball game has completely changed that ball game oh yeah and i mean they they still when i went through the police academy they tell the story of, I don't even know where it's from, but everyone hears it. You know, there was a bank robbery or something. Bank robbery suspect walks out, patrol officer shoots him with a shotgun, eight pellets hit him, ninth one flies off and kills a grandma standing behind him or something because they didn't have flight control. I mean, just the technology and stuff like, like the ammunition in which you've covered extensively in podcasts before, but like the way we use shotguns now is completely different than what we were even capable of doing with them right. 30 years ago right yeah all right well now i gotta put you on the spot okay because you've got multiple triangles or pyramids out there and you've risen to the skinny part of multiples what if any have you since you challenged your initial system, say CSAT's mm-hmm. your initial system, but since then you've challenged it with the range of master, now you've challenged it with modern technique. What, if anything, have you decided, well, no, this other way is better and I'm going to adopt it? Or the converse of that question is, no, nah, I've looked at all these other things and I'm going to stick with what I got. Well, it's kind of funny because I was actually, I was talking to this about Paul Howe last time I saw him. Um, uh, so pretty much overall, I still use all the CSAT stuff um, as much training as I've done otherwise. And really what this other training has done is given me an understanding of why people do things. But in my own personal system, almost completely, I still use the CSAT stuff. Now, where I do, where I have added certain things is, I'm pretty big now on the, the Metro draw drawing to a hard, low ready outdoors for police applications. Um, I think that's extremely valid. Paul Howe is not at all a fan of the low ready with a pistol. And I think for police stuff, there's a lot of times where low ready with a pistol makes a ton of sense. I still go high ready with a pistol. Um, a lot of times when I'm, uh, clearing buildings and stuff with my pistol for the same reasons Paul Howe teaches, but I do use low ready pretty extensively at work. Um, so I would say that's probably the biggest thing that I've added um, from from all of the CSAT stuff. Outside of that, you know, there's little technical stuff, um, but I still recommend everyone go train at CSAT and. There's just not a lot I can say I disagree with Paul Howe on, honestly. So I know that's probably not the most exciting answer out there, but that's kind of where I'm at. And uh, with the modern technique stuff, um, 
the range master stuff. It's all great. It all works. Um, I love all of that stuff. I'm going to the range master master instructor class in about a month and a half, I believe. So I'm a big fan of all that, but for me personally, most of that stuff is just understanding why we do it. So I can teach it to people because this is kind of an important thing. Firearms training is not one size fits all. So there are certain people that certain techniques work for and other techniques don't work for them. So I like knowing the other ways of doing things in case you come across somebody that for whatever reason, you know, hand size or strength or something like that can't do a certain technique as well as they can another one. Just having multiple tools in your instructor toolbox, I think is always a big positive. All right. Well, I've got a follow-up question to that then. Okay. I think we can argue that you're pretty well steeped in knowledge of the modern technique as originated by gun sight and then proliferated through the LAPD guys and then into Daryl Bulky, who I know has been very influential with you. Absolutely. Pure use of the modern technique, is it still applicable in a 2021 world? Oh yeah. There is there is nothing about the modern technique that wouldn't be applicable. And that's where you just get into the weeds of, well, can I shoot split slightly faster shooting a modified isosceles versus a standard isometric tension weaver stance? You know, and that stuff doesn't matter in real shooting. Because really you should be shooting at operational speed and you can shoot about max operational speed shooting a weaver stance if you're doing it right. Um, like Larry Mudgett demo shoots every student's guns in his class. And I think he's 74 and he's shooting one whole groups with everything from a Glock 43 up to a full size 1911, um, shooting Weaver. So it really comes down to the fact like, and gun sight, this is a myth. Eric Gellhouse will probably be mad at me if I don't include you don't have to shoot Weaver at gunsight. I was going to get I, to that. I didn't shoot Weaver at gunsight. Right. I shot my standard modified isosceles um, because that's not, you know, the make or break part of the system. Um, kind of the big thing is uh, Brian Eastridge just did a great podcast with Eric Gellhouse mm-hmm. over um, all of Cooper's methodology and stuff like that. And if you listen to it, it's all still valid. Right. And really the beauty of kind of the gun sight stuff is it's so mindset based that you can kind of plug whatever shooting technique you want into that. So I don't think there's anything. If somebody showed up, if I was working with somebody um, on the street that was a hundred percent like the modern technique as taught by Jeff Cooper is the only way to do it, blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't have a problem with it because as long as their marksmanship is there and they understand the important stuff, like shooting at assessment speed, target discrimination, things like that, it doesn't matter. So would you agree with the following statement? The weaver stance is really kind of immaterial to the modern technique. Yeah, I would. Um, I would. Larry Mudgett might not, but I, I think I would. And I think Eric would agree with that um, because he was saying, you know, where your elbow is ultimately is not the biggest thing they're worried about. 
So, and that's where another plug, if you have the ability, take the gunsight250red.class or any of the gunsight250 classes. Um, it's a really good overview of everything you need to know as a private citizen or really as a law enforcement officer um, crammed into five days. And so there's so much about um, the gun handling stuff and, you know, clearing malfunctions, reloading, holstering, unholstering, loading, unloading safely, 100% safety with your tools, another huge thing. So, so much of this stuff that has nothing to do with the actual physical shooting of the gun. Um, and that's really where I'm more interested right now um, with kind of the direction I'm taking my own personal training, because I know dudes that shoot Weaver, that shoot one hole groups. I know dudes that shoot isosceles, that shoot one hole groups. I know dudes that shoot one-handed bullseye all the time that shoot one whole groups like marksmanship is marksmanship. And if you put the sights on the target and you press the trigger the correct way, you're going to get hits. So I'm much more interested in kind of the application side of the gun handling and the mindset and the tactics of it. Yeah, I also want to echo that I have heard from Ken Campbell's very own mouth and Ken Campbell is the CEO of Gunsight that the Weaver stance is not a requirement. Matter of fact, they now refer to the balanced fighting stance. I believe in 2016, they formally made that change in the actual written doctrine of the school. Oh, yeah. Well, Eric Galhaus, I believe, is the guy that rewrote the book um, on the doctrine. Right. So I think that's probably right. But, you know, Eric did quote some guy named John Hearn. So, yeah, that might yeah i heard that i don't know i don't know if i believe that that john hearn guy gets a little sketchy but right uh well you know both well, eric and john are tied for the most number of uh, interviews on the show but uh hey hearn spencer keepers episodes gotten more plays than yours has oh <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> you know there, there may be some rivalry amongst uh, amongst guys all friendly okay Oh, I'm sure. Well, John Hearn gave me some of the best advice I've ever gotten at my first range master instructor development course. Mm -hmm. um, I think I was just about to go through the police academy about six months from then. And John Hearn was like, well, I got two pieces of advice for you. Don't get any policies named after you and don't get a bridge named after you. Mm -hmm. And I haven't had a bridge named after me. I probably have had some <laughs> policies named after me, unfortunately. But I'm trying to follow John's advice. Try. Right. You, you don't want your name in Supreme Court rulings. Yes, that yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, I used to remember as a, as, as a rookie, uh, our command staff at the time had a staff meeting like every Monday. And so the first shift briefing after that, they would go over these staff meeting notes. And I used to sit there and wonder how many times I came up in, in each staff meeting. It's like, try to keep it under two this week and maybe it'll yep. be okay. But uh, uh, anything that I haven't asked you about uh, the baseline proficiency that you need to include? Well, I think the main thing with the baseline proficiency is that you have to just kind of round yourself out well. And so getting focused on way too focused on one thing, and I've been there, like I think the new trend of doing nothing but shooting 25 yard bowls um, can get a little bit um, you hit the point of diminishing returns 
And I think shooting 25 yard bulls is great. So I hope people will understand what I'm saying when I say this, but people that decide that they have to be able to keep them all in the black shooting uh, support hand only at 25 yards, you may spend your time slightly better working on other things as well. And that kind of goes back to, you know, the whole sub second draw thing that everyone on the internet has been talking about for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> so I think the thing with the baseline of proficiency, you have to have a baseline of skills and you have to be proficient at all of them. Right. And that's the main problem with firearms training is trying to stay proficient at everything. So pick a system, burn reps on it, get really good at it. I don't care what your system is. So that's about all, that's about all I can say on it. And just one more time to clarify for the internet. He did not say don't train with other instructors and don't train in other systems. What he said was pick one, get good at it, develop a significant level of proficiency in that system, and then challenge it with the other systems. Definitely. Or pick a good one and just stay there. You won't hurt my feelings either way. So, right. right. Well, David, it's always fun to, to talk with you. And I am jealous of the fact that you get in, in a good way of uh, your tour that you've been able to do this summer and basically your whole training resume because it's your what, 24? I had to remember I'm 23 at the moment. 20, 23. So. Uh, you know, I, I've got you by a few decades and I think your training levels right up there about with mine and uh, I look at that and I thought wow I wish I could have accomplished all that at that age because of all the things you'll still be able to accomplish well I'm actually glad that you said this because this does bring up one thing that I have to talk about on any podcast I'm on Uh, I got incredibly lucky falling in with the people that I did I tell everyone I'm probably literally only alive because of Paul Howe um, and all of the different skills that he gave me through training. Um, and then the people that I met through all of this, the entire range master family, all these different people. But recently Daryl bulky specifically has kind of pushed me to kind of new levels on learning the history and, you know, all of the stuff that goes along with this and it just kind of opened these new avenues for me. So, you know, I am just, I'm so thankful for all the people that have helped me along with this. And, you know, it's one of those things that you can never pay back. So hopefully I can just pay some of it forward. Yeah. To that point, I will say that, you know, for me, it was Tom Givens that kind of guided my pathway forward. And then to a large extent, Dave Spalding's been, been very influential. I know you've got Daryl Bolke. Those guys all learn from Jeff Cooper the LAPD guys we've all mentioned and everything. So they were that next generation. So you've got the Coopers, the Mudgets, the Reeds, and all that kind of stuff with the first generation. Then you've got, you know, Givens, Spaldings, Bulky, Dobbs, all that kind of stuff for that next generation after, you know, that kind of took over for them. Uh, I would like to say that I'm part of the generation that's going to take over for those guys along with, you know, John Hearn, um, Murphy, Gail House, uh, that whole circle of people. Well, I got to tell you, we've already picked you and Lane Thayer to take over when we're too old to do this. So uh, you boys better be uh, hitting, hitting your books pretty hard because you're going to inherit a lot. Hey, well, I will take it anytime somebody puts me in the same company as Lane Thayer. So. And I, I got to give Ryan McCann some props too. But Absolutely. Uh, yeah. He's yeah. a great guy. Yeah. So you, you kind of the three guys that I'm kind of watching as the, the next 
you know, the guys that are going to take over for, for us when we take our, after we get through. So um, I think we're going to be in good hands. Well, you know, it's an, it's an honor to be referred to that way, sir. So I really appreciate it. Well, there you go. So don't take it lightly. Absolutely. (laughs) If there's one thing you can count on, it's that I do not take this lightly. There you go. All right, folks. um, If you're enjoying the show, please share the links. Uh, I I don't want to brag, but right before we went on the air and I checked the podcast revenue and we have generated, are you ready for this, David? five dollars and 74 cents of revenue from the podcast it's the money's really rolling in people yeah if you think that all this is about money then it's not yeah watch Um, out john korea (laughs) on the way yeah my average audience of 82 per podcast yeah i'm I'm closing in on the on the uh, asked uh uh empire there uh but if you're enjoying the show uh please share the links uh, I don't want to feel like a spammer, so I've tried to cut back on where I've I've been sharing the links for. Uh, like and subscribe to all the feeds or whatever. Leave comments because apparently that generates something in how all the the search engines work. Um, and if you don't like it, that's fine too. Uh, but if you do, please help spread the word, and we'll keep it going as long as there's interest. Uh, right now, all the feedback has been very positive. Oh, looked up for that one guy. Um, but the feedback has been pretty positive and but it's also all coming from deep divers and we haven't really hit mainstream internet craziness, which I'm okay with. Um, but if you are enjoying the show, please share it with like-minded people. And uh, I am that Weems guy for first person safety. Thank you for your time. <laughs>